Hi, my name is Evan. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Ian, and I use they, them pronouns. And this is If the Shoe Fits. It's a podcast. That's it. It's just a podcast. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. Uh, it's a podcast about Cinderella stories. And today's episode is about a Cinderella story. Ooh. That's right. We're talking about Jerry Lewis's film, Cinderella. Yes. So I have our fast facts this episode. Cinderella was released in the year 1960. It's produced by Jerry Lewis, but written and directed by Frank Tashlin, starred Jerry Lewis, Ed Wynn, who's most famous as being the uncle in Mary Poppins, the love to laugh guy. Right. Also the Mad Hatter. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. He worked with Disney a lot. Like a lot, a lot. And he had his own show for a while as well. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. It also stars Judith Anderson and Anna Maria Albergetti. Mm. Who are people who are more famous in the 60s than they are now. Well, I mean, Anna Maria got like a nice good old uh, square around her name in the opening yes. credits. Yeah, I had to look her up. I was like, who is this woman and why did she get a square around her name in the opening credits? Was this her film debut? No, not remotely. Okay. Another interesting fact about the release of this movie is that uh, they filmed it up through December of 1959, and the studio wanted to release the movie, but Jerry Lewis was adamant that it should be a holiday release. And the only way that Paramount agreed to hold back the release until the next holiday season was if he made another film for them. And he wrote, produced, and directed a film called The Bellboy in four weeks at a hotel that he was performing at so that Cinderella could be a Christmas release. Huh. Which is impressive. You can't make a movie that fast anymore. No, unless it's cheap. Right, well, I think the Bellboy was cheap, given that it was in a hotel he was already staying at. Or student film. Right. God knows. So, can you give us our quick synopsis of this film? I mean, it's probably going to be quick, but let's go. Should we give you the full minute? Uh, let's, let, let's do 30 seconds. I think I can summarize this in 30 seconds. All right, go. Okay, Cinderella. So, Fella, uh, uh, dad dies and gives all of his money to the stepmother and her sons. Uh, they're kind of mean to him, really call him a lot of names, think he's crazy and stuff. Uh, the son is having a dream about his father, telling him where his money actually is so that uh, that fella can inherit. Um, so the stepbrothers and the stepmother want to use him. Uh, normal Cinderella stuff happens. And in the end, love conquers all. <laughs> uh, that is technically true. That is, that is the story. So this is a gender-bent Cinderella. Yes. The main character's name is Fella. He has stepbrothers instead of stepsisters. Right. Uh, we have a fairy godfather in Edwin instead of a fairy godmother. But the stepmother is still a stepmother, which I thought was very interesting because we saw the same thing in our last gender bent Cinderella with Cinder Elmo. Right. Yes, stepbrothers. Yes, a stepfather, a godfather rather, but a stepmother as well. And I wonder why something about the Cinderella story makes it hard to imagine an evil stepfather, which, and we have seen an evil stepfather in the opera La Cenerentola. I think. It's because a stepfather, I don't know why, but I think we put, like, if it's a stepfather, they usually go into the comedy route. Like, that's more funny. And if you want to do, like, a more uh, evil, sinister one, stepmother is unfortunately the way to go because of sexism. Well, but also there's this long tradition of, like, Disney protagonists, usually the villain is the same gender as the protagonist because they're facing off of a character who is in some way a foil for them. Uh Uh-huh. So I wonder why in these two gender-bent Cinderella's, 
it hasn't made more sense for there to be a uh, stepfather. Well, I think too, especially in the way that gender roles work, if it were a stepfather with stepsons, like fathers and sons have, I don't want to say difficult relationships, but they're definitely different. And mm-hmm. I think the point of, especially the stepmother character is to show that she is nicer to her own children than she is to Cinderella. Yeah. And I think a stepfather, I think it would work for like the Cinderella, but I don't know because of the gender roles that we have put in society that it would work for the stepson. So I think it's easier to do a stepmother uh, to be cuddling and coddling over her two sons than it is for a stepfather to do the same. Interesting. And vice versa with a stepfather and stepsisters. You know, because you have that uh, stereotype of a father being protective of his daughters. Yeah. And a mother being protective of her sons. Well, in this one, it's sort of unclear how old everyone is. Right. And often when we ask that question, we're like, are they minors or are they not? This is the opposite problem, where it's like, they're clearly adults. Uh-huh. Like, they all drink alcohol at one point, but they act like children a little bit. Jerry Lewis's fella especially plays this sort of, like, man-child comedy character that still popular today I and mean, mm. anything that's Will Ferrell's ever done. <laughs> but the step brothers play the characters as adults, but they live in this sort of like coddled, live at home, sleep in the same room kind of existence. Right. Despite living in a this large California mansion that they live in. Very large. Apparently in Bel Air, as I read. Mm-hmm. Well, and apparently they also the exterior shots of the mansion that they used were also used as exterior shots in Beverly Hillbillies. Oh. Yeah. So you got the Hillbillies and the Fresh Prince in the same neighborhood. And Cinderella. And Cinderella. I wonder if they're all neighbors. Would you watch that sitcom? <gasps> Ooh, I, I might. <laughs> I might watch that sitcom. I'd watch the first episode just to check it out. Yeah. It'd be like the Disney Channel crossovers. If you ever heard of those? If I ever heard of those? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Had you ever seen a Jerry Lewis movie before this? Um, I've seen Nutty Professor. Right. Which is maybe his most famous movie. Yeah, that's his most famous. Uh, other than that, I've only known Jerry Lewis as like, he was a comedian at some point, then later in life did like a lot of theater. He produced a significant body of work in terms of movies. Yeah, looking at his work, I didn't realize how significant or, like, prolific he was during the time period. Like, he was big and, like, making a lot of films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny that, like, he's not remembered the same way that other comedians mm-hmm. who made uh, a lot of films, right. like Chaplin, are. Well, I think it's interesting, around that time and later on comedians were more known for doing television Mm. you know you got your carol burnett's you got i mean oh carol burnett's a good example of someone who's more contemporaneous who we remember today although we don't remember her for her work that she was doing in the 60s i suppose i guess not but again this was after jerry lewis and comedians were more uh taken to tv than film at the time so i just i guess i guess jerry lewis just didn't transfer to tv that well or there was just yeah, I wonder. newer and younger people coming in. He's fun in this movie. Very fun in this movie. There are stretches of this movie that feel like they're just a series of setups for him to do 
physical comedy sequences. Definitely. But the physical comedy sequences are fun. I like a physical comedy Cinderella. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Physical comedy feels like a lost art sometimes. There's not a lot of it in modern movies or TV. Well, it's interesting because usually in Cinderella movies that we see that, I don't want to say pad, but add a lot more to the story. It's usually background characters that are like doing the funny bits or mm-hmm. padding the movie with funny bits. Again, mm-hmm. for instance... Disney Cinderella. Mm-hmm. You know, it's literally 50% Cinderella story, 50% mice. Right. Or even, uh, we were talking about La Cenerentola earlier. La Cenerentola, half the characters are fools. But Cinderella and the prince are not. Yeah, usually Cinderella and the prince are just played straight. Mm-hmm. But in this one, our Cinderella, our, our fella, he's very goofy, very silly. Yeah, I enjoyed the antics uh, of it all. I think it's also very refreshing to watch this, especially after the last one we watched. I I would say that this one was a lot funnier because of just his antics. I feel like in other Cinderella's, when they try to make Cinderella different, it's usually the writing, and the writing is trying so hard to make Cinderella this funny or goofy or awkward character Mm -hmm. in order to compensate for, like, they're not being a lot. Again, she's usually played straight. And what I liked about this one is, like, he was just able to do that on his own. Well, no, I mean, I think the writing's still doing it, but the writing is doing it by giving Jerry Lewis opportunities to do these physical comedy sequences. Was it writing, though? Because I genuinely... No, I don't think he improvised the physical comedy. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Or at least had like bits from his old. Yeah, it definitely things. feels. It definitely feels like he's playing the hits a little bit. But I think that like the the director and writer of this movie had worked with him a lot mm-hmm. and knew how to write for Jerry Lewis to do his thing. I, I don't think Jerry Lewis showed up on set and was like, you know what, I could do. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is it didn't feel like it was trying so hard to like make this Cinderella different. One thing that I think stands out about fella as a character in relation to Cinderella's is that when he first meets the fairy godfather Edwin he sings a song because this is kind of a musical kind of kind of not but mostly not a musical it's a it's sort of a movie with songs <laughs> but he sings this song about he so he believes that, that there is a difference between a person and people mm-hmm. and that a person is like someone of significance mm-hmm. and that he sings this whole song about how he'd about how he's happy just being a, a person. Mm. How he's happy just being a people. You know? Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, a peep. So a people is just regular folk. Did I get it backwards? Yeah. People are just regular folk. A person is someone of major importance. Right. So he sings this whole song about how he's happy just being a people, how he's accepted his lot in life. And there's a humbleness to him that is interesting that I think creates other problems mm. because he doesn't really want anything. Really, the Cinderella aspects of the story, aside from that he's mistreated by a stepfamily, are kind of the fairy godfather's idea. Mm. He kind of shows up and is like, hey, here's what you're going to do. Right. Well, it's almost like he is okay. Like, he's okay with his lot in life and he doesn't really realize Mm. what's going on with him. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of just doing it out of the kindness of his heart, in a way. Well, and that even comes back later in the movie... Because there's this fortune that his father has hidden somewhere, mm-hmm. which isn't explained very well. No. But drives some of the action that he's having this dream every night where the father comes to him and tries to tell him where the money is. And right. the stepbrothers are aware of the dream and want to get their hands on the money. So when he gets the money at the end, he presents it to the family in a wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. 
and is like, well, you always wanted the money. Here it is. You can have it. Which is kind of wild. Like, he doesn't try to send them packing. He's, like, willing to give away his fortune to them. The synopsis on the Wikipedia page should have confidently stated that he... All he ever wanted was a family, which I don't know that is that clear in the text. I think it's clear in the text. I mm-hmm. think I think he does kind of say that. And the stepmother has this moment of remorse. She t- stops the stepbrothers from taking the money. She's like, "No, it's that's fellas," which is interesting because we usually we don't usually get growth from the stepmother. Hmm. This fairy godfather, first of all, he is Edwin is delightful in everything that he does. Yes, and he pretty clearly says that. He was the fairy godfather from the original Cinderella story, and he even, like, conjures her up. So mm-hmm. Cinderella's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> briefly. He also, at one point, conjures up Jack and Jill to fetch a pail of water to splash on Fella when he's unconscious. Briefly. It's interesting that in this world, the Cinderella story exists. I think this is the first time that we are in a world where this story exists. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Unless you count Gonzarella. I, I, in, our, in our bigger main Cinderella stories that we've covered. Yes. Full-length Cinderella, where Cinderella also exists. Yes. And also, nobody calls Fella Cinderfella at any point. No, 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 just no. Just, no. Just, just Fella. Right, it's just the title of the movie. The other aspect of Edwin's fairy godfather <laughs> is that he is incredibly sexist. Very. <laughs> To the point that he's, like, kind of the only sexist character in the movie, or at least the only blatantly sexist character in the movie, I think that the, like, movie as a whole is fairly sexist because Uh there are exactly two female characters, unless you count Cinderella, who is a cameo, Mm. and one of them is the stepmother, Mm -hmm. who, aside from the aforementioned growth moment, is a pretty two-dimensional villain for most of the movie. Right. And the other is uh, the princess, uh, who is the Princess Charmaine, I think. It's, it's spelled charming, but they yeah. pronounce it as Charmaine at one point. And she, I mean, we were fairly late in the movie before she had any lines. We were wondering if she would have any. Right. And she doesn't seem to have any real agency. Edwin is the fairy godfather, indicates that she'll fall in love with him, uh, him being Fella, and then she does. Um, in an off-screen way, they dance together at the at the party, and then she's like smitten with him. Right. But that's kind of that's the entire character. That's it. It's a it's a sort of thing where you have to wonder: Did you gender bend the story because you couldn't imagine women having, you know, three dimensional thoughts and feelings and desires, or just as a vehicle for Jerry Lewis? Like it seems almost thoughtlessly sexist, but. It really all comes together in The Fairy Godfather, who, when he's explaining the the Cinderella story, is like, well, it's women who wrote it down, and women want to think they've invented everything, so they made me a fairy godmother instead of a fairy godfather, which is a bad start. And then his whole like scheme, why he wants this Cinderella story to play out with Fella, is... And I don't even quite follow the logic of this. I didn't follow the logic as well. I think it's like to prove that it could happen to men too. Right, right. The point that he says is that women look to the Cinderella story and see that they could end up with Prince Charming and then they're upset when their husbands fall short of that and they become these nagging shrews. And 
his ensuing logic is that by having Fela go through a similar thing, it'll create an equilibrium because then the men will be like, I could have ended up with a princess charming. And then that'll bring peace to households somehow. It's baffling logic. It doesn't make a lick of sense. But it's also implying that this is only going to happen to Jerry Lewis. Like, this is only happening to Jerry Lewis because he's not charming, not, like, handsome. Not clever. Not clever. They really underline how unclever he is. They, like, and, like, and this is only happening to him because of those circumstances. Which is not really equal to the original Cinderella story. No, because... because under the soot and the ashes, she's beautiful, she's kind, she's pretty smart from mm-hmm. many and, of the adaptations that we've seen right, in the original and, story. And the original versions will remind you that she is, like, obedient. Like, she's always helping her stepfamily and uh, is, is deserving. Yeah. And this one wants to underline that Cinderella is not deserving. It's also interesting that the stepfamily, uh, very similar to Cinderella 2021, the stepfamily is marrying or wanting to just get rich and i feel like we say that a lot like i think that especially in more period piece cinderellas there is an implication that they live in a world where because the family is all daughters they have to marry for money Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to see that in a a modern set cinderella Mm -hmm. as well i mean they certainly live the life of a leisure class they're spending uh, all the money that was left to them in Luxuries and parties and... Oh, I meant in uh, in Fella's father's will. Right, right, right. But they're spending it on luxuries and parties. Right. And, and there's... Well, there's also the, like, hidden fortune somewhere. Right. Which is hidden in a tree. And burst out like a slot machine. <laughs> it's interesting that that device, that there's this hidden fortune, which we first find out about because Fella has a dream about it, drives a chunk of the narrative where the brothers are like trying to devise a way for Fella to finish his dream so that he can find out where the money is so that they can mm-hmm. steal it from him. But it really only like leads to a couple comedy sequences with like Fella sleepwalking and the brothers trying to follow him and them trying to right. tire him out and stuff like that. And then at the end of the movie, Fella just indicates that he knew where the money was all along. Mm-hmm. That it was in this tree. It was like a, why didn't you just ask kind of moment. Right. I don't. I just find it interesting because I know in the past Cinderellas, it's implied that like that the stepmother is aware that if one of her daughters marries the prince, they will rise up in class and status. But like, it's never implied or like never like explicitly said that they're marrying or wanting to rise up for money. Like I, I like it's never explicitly said. Like it has been in the last Cinderella and this Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Ever After is also the only other one that I can really think of. Well, even then, I mean, they need money, mm-hmm. but she doesn't talk about the money when she talks about marrying off her daughter to the prince. I don't think mm-hmm. in Ever After. Yeah, but all the other times, it's just for I want my daughter to marry the prince, and that's it. Like it's just that it's never like I want them to marry rich. And I just find that so interesting that we've had two in a row mm. that have dealt with that. And at the end of the day, the money thing doesn't matter at all. No. I mean, the fact that he offers to give it to them, it isn't clear what fellow would have done with the money. It doesn't seem to matter. It, I, we're not even really clear who's taking the money at the end of the movie. No. Because fella ends up with the princess. I think it's implied that it's still going to go to fella. 
Yeah, I think so. But there are so many movies where like a large sum of money like that is really relevant and really important, and you you know, like it matters who ends up with it at the end. But it, we don't. It doesn't really affect anything. No, it could be cut entirely from this movie. Another theme that doesn't really go anywhere is Fella's idea of a person versus people. Which we which we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. With the, with the music. Fella sings three songs in the movie. The first is the I want to be a people? It's I want to, I'm happy with who, who I am. I'm happy with as, who I am. With my lot in life as being a people. Being a people. Um, and then he sings a song in the middle about how he's sad in general. I forget the specifics. I was, I was bored in that moment. I don't remember what it relates to if anything and then his third song he goes down to stoke the furnace (laughs) this is after he was told he can't go to the ball he goes down to the furnace and is taking care of the fire and he's like you know what i want to be a person i don't want to be a people i want to be a person but he also like is mad he's like he's like I was a fool to believe that in fairy godfathers and the step family is treating me poorly mm-hmm. and I'm going to take matters into my own hands is sort of the vibe that I got off of Right, it. yeah. Uh, and he like storms up the stairs and it immediately is like pushed back down into the furnace by the fairy godfather who's arrived dressed as a fairy godmother <laughs> uh, just to be like... Which made no sense. Right, he, he was like... You need convincing in the magic of fairy godmothers, so I'm dressed as one. Or you don't believe me as a fairy godfather? Well, you'll Maybe believe you'll... me as a fairy godmother. Exactly. And then we kind of cut straight to the ball. Like, there's no dress transformation. Yeah. There's no, like, here's your magic coach, that kind of thing. We just cut to the ball, and he arrives in this, you know, nice suit, but not that nice. It's no. not, I mean, usually, like, an element of the transformation is that it's like the most beautiful dress and I want to dress like that and that kind of thing, right? This one, it's red and it fits him. Right. I compared him to the Music Man when we were watching yeah. it. Oh, and they gray his hair a little. Right. So he's older? I guess. And he does a bizarre dance with the princess. Mm-hmm. But then Midnight comes. And he runs away. And he runs away. But he runs away to this nice car with this driver who is apparently a fish. Right. Before. We sort of get all the explanations about it on his way out, about how his... The car was formerly his bicycle, and the driver was formerly a fish. A goldfish, yeah. From, like, a koi pond. Yeah. And we don't get to see, like, this transformation happen. We just cut to the ball. It's not a film with a special effects budget in any sense. But still, they could have done, like, some 1960s camera cut away for a moment and then cut back and yeah that's true the they, they do a little bit of that when cinderella appears there's all these like magic flashing lights and things but that's it that's that's the only time we get anything like that yeah and what's baffling about this film is that this ball happens like 15 minutes before the movie ends like him appearing right. at the ball is like because you look at the runtime and it's like, how much time's left in this movie? There was 15 minutes left of this movie. And I was sitting there like, that's got to be at least four or five minutes of credits. Are they, are they somehow going to wrap it up from ball to end in 10 minutes? And they did. But, but five of those minutes were them dancing. <laughs> that's true. So we really only had 10 minutes. We should talk briefly about the special guest star at the ball. Which is Count Basie and his orchestra. Yes. So Count Basie's music is in the film in a couple places. Mm -hmm. He's at the ball in this huge, like, rotating bandstand. This is clearly the most expensive set they built. (laughs) Uh, There's also an earlier sequence where Fella mimics the instruments um, on the radio to a Count Basie song. Right. Which is a cute reference as well. Yeah. 
since they were getting Count Basie anyway, I figured they could use more of his music. Should we talk about the ending? I'm still confused about this ending. I'm also confused about the ending. Again, this ending happens within 10 minutes. Uh, Well, also, like, it feels like the ending of a different movie. Like, it feels like the ending of a serious, like, drama where people really have feelings and it's hard for people to come together. Not the ending of a comedy with, like, a partial sleepwalking scene where Jerry Lewis accidentally pushes his brothers out of a window. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, it's not... It's not totally the same. Right. Because what happens is that he's presented the step family with the money, which they are uh, refusing. He walks out the front of the house, seemingly to go seek his own fortune. And the princess is there. She's been living on property because she's staying with the family. And she's like, I think this is your shoe. It's a formal dress shoe. Mm -hmm. Does the shoe thing. He's like, I think that shoe's too big for me. Like, you know, like a metaphor. Get it? Uh And... (laughs) And he's like, you know, you're a person and I'm just a people and we, this can't be. He's like, no, under these clothes. She doesn't have an accent. I don't know why I'm doing an accent. She kind of has a little bit she of an accent. She does have a bit of an accent. She was like, she's Italian. She's like, under these clothes, <laughs> under these clothes, I am also a person. And starts like ripping at her clothes. Or also a people. Yeah. Right. She, she, she rips off her the sleeves of her dress. She breaks. She takes off her hat. She breaks the uh, heels of her shoes. high heel shoes. So they're she flat. takes out her bun and into like a down ponytail. So she still looks great. Like it's, she just she just <laughs> turns the dress into like a different nice dress. Yeah. It's just a costume change into a nice outfit still. And like she's crying, like come back, please. right? She's like, I, I love, love you, you, which is wild because they again have spoken to each other very little and just danced together the one time. And he leaves, like he walks away, and she starts singing a sad song because mm-hmm. everyone gets one. A it, song that we haven't heard before, by the way. No, like it feels like it's a reprise of a song from earlier, but we have never heard this song before. And also for a character that's barely been in the movie, I'm like, should I be upset that she's a sad, or like, does it matter? And side note about this character, though, she gets a great ballroom outfit. She does. It's a great ballroom outfit. Ugh. Anyway. (laughs) And then Jerry Lewis walks back into the back of the frame and they embrace. And then they're suddenly uh, transported back to the ballroom and they like dance together. And it's like happily ever after the end. And the like the strife of that, of her being like tearful and upset that he's leaving and and can't love her. And it's, it's just it's like. I wouldn't say moving, but still, like, intense a little bit, It's a, G- given what the rest of the movie's been. It's an ending for a film that has, because we've talked about this before, where in more modern Cinderella's, they introduced the prince earlier. This is an ending for that type of movie. Mm-hmm. If the princess was in the film kind of throughout, where they were introduced to each other a lot earlier than maybe halfway or, like, three quarters of the way through the film. And the thing is, like I said, she's staying on property. They're living in the same space. Mm -hmm. So they could have met. But we don't get that scene. We don't get that scene. They have a a brief moment where he frightens her because he pops out of a bush near her by accident. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And then the ball. And then the ball where he looks like somebody else. And one thing I did like about the ball, though, is that he there's no like pretense that he's some foreign dignitary or something, because as soon, as soon as they're dancing, he's like, I think you should be with someone who's not a phony. I want to tell you that I am. I don't look like this. Right. I did not come by this gray hair naturally. These aren't my clothes. You know? Yeah. Which is very interesting. I, I do like that. Overall, 
I would not recommend this movie to anybody. <laughs> I think if you're looking for like a nice, funny movie, mm-hmm, this would be cool. I don't think it's a good Cinderella adaptation. Yeah. I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for fans of the Cinderella story. I think it's on the weaker end of the adaptation line. And I think if you were a fan of physical comedy, <laughs> I would recommend a different Jerry Lewis movie. Mm. Yeah, I don't think this is his strongest, his strongest movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think he made a lot of other stronger films. I watched a bunch of them when I was like in high school. Mm-hmm. I had a Jerry Lewis face, like many kids do. Right. And I couldn't tell you mo- much about the films that I saw at that time. Mm. But I think overall... In the adaptation line of Cinderella's, I think this is definitely the weakest one. Definitely would not recommend this one. I'm glad we've seen it, though, because it's Mm -hmm. useful to have a low point. And I remember with Slipper and the Rose, it helped me point to things that I thought were working well in other Cinderella's. Mm -hmm. So I'll be glad to have Cinderella as a comparison point for future Cinderella's. And it wasn't a total loss. There were parts of it that I enjoyed. I just wouldn't recommend it. This week, for our small Cinderella, mm-hmm. we're looking at Cinderella Meets Fella, which is a Merry Melodies cartoon animation. We're staying in the Fella family this week. We're staying in the Fella family. <laughs> That's exactly what we picked it. So for those of you who don't know, Merry Melodies was a series of cartoon shorts produced alongside uh, Looney Tunes, also by Warner Brothers, a lot of the same people. Uh, mm-hmm. working on both. So characters that appear in Looney Tunes also appear in Merry Melodies. And this sketch, uh, or cartoon, features a character named Egghead, who's an early version of Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. And by the time Looney Tunes became popular, the names Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies kind of became interchangeable, but they were basically the same product. Yes. So this one, Cinderella Meets Fella, is mm-hmm. eight and a half minutes long. Yes. Again, we're seeing that you can... Cut the Cinderella story pretty short and still uh, have time for some jokes. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for a 30-second Cinderella myself. I mean, we keep proving you can tell the story in 30 seconds. (laughs) This one starts with a lot of jokes. Yes. And I would argue that this, like the Betty Boop Cinderella, falls into the category of jokes that are for adults or jokes that adults can enjoy. Mm Mm-hmm. Not to the exclusion of kids, but certainly there's some non-kid jokes in here. Right. For example, at the beginning of the story, Cinderella is left at home, and the clock chimes nine, and she gets all concerned. She runs to the phone and calls the police and says, My fairy godmother 
is 15 minutes late. Yeah, is missing. Go find her and, and deliver her to me. And they, you know, send out a, a raid or whatever. And it's more than implied that they find her at um, a beer hall or something. Yeah, like a bar. That. Right. And the fairy godmother first transforms the, like, pumpkin into a... Into uh, Santa Claus. And Santa his Claus in his sleigh, sleigh, yeah. And his reindeer. She does, like, a slot machine thing to produce mice out of the wow. mouse hole. Yeah. So lots of funny, like, visual gags Oh, like the that. pumpkin comes out of a can of pumpkin. Right. And weirdly, all of that, like, stops when Cinderella gets to the ball. There's not as many visual gags. It plays fairly straight. There's a couple, like... Yeah. Egghead dances over a table and, and rolls out of a rug kind of mm-hmm. stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And then after the ball, it kind of goes back to it a little bit. Yeah, there's sort of a meta joke ending. The prince gets to the house and Cinderella has left a note, which is like, oh, I got bored and I went to see a Warner Brothers film, which, of course, like, you're already in the audience for. And then her, like, silhouette pops up as if she had stood in front of the projector in the theater you're in, because this mm. would have been shown in theaters. You sort of see her silhouette, like, walk through the row of people and she's like here i am i'm watching this one <laughs> right and she she runs onto the screen and, and says let's go back to the 10th row and stay through the newsreel so you get this implication that they're gonna like make out during the yeah the news of the world yeah there's also a fun joke where he's trying to find where cinderella is and there's like a bunch of neon signs over cinderella's house going this is cinderella's house cinderella's house here right and he's like i, I guess this must be it this must be cinderella's <laughs> house so it's cute it's interesting to see the less polished side of older animation, which I think this falls into. Definitely, definitely. There were there were a few animation mistakes that we noticed, and it didn't seem as, I don't want to say clean, as animation is now, or even as it got better over time, but it was definitely, like, a lot more grittier. Well, I wonder if part of that is that the more beloved Looney Tunes cartoons, for example, have really been restored mm. in a way that this one hasn't been. Well, I also think this is the kind of the style of the animator, Tex Avery. He was kind of known for this type of grittier style as compared to other Looney Tunes that was done by like Chuck Jones, who has a more neater approach. Like if you compare the styles between what's Opera Doc and this one, it's night and day really between the two animators and their styles. Yeah, it's not the um, clean cartoon world Mm-hmm. of some of the later Looney Tunes, especially. I'm also less used to seeing a Warner Brothers animation story with so many people in it. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's no non-people characters, right? really, except for uh, Cuckoo Clock Birds, yeah. of which there are several. Right. The clock at Cinderella's house has like six of them or more, maybe eight. Yeah. And there's a Cuckoo Clock Bird at the... Um, palace which springs out of the clock and tries to stop the uh, minute hand from reaching midnight mm-hmm. which is cute but the, yeah the people animation style i'm less used to right which might be one of the reasons that this is not as beloved <laughs> the step family are presented as like three versions of the same woman with different hair like yeah. it's impossible to tell if, if one of them is the stepmother and one isn't they just kind of sing like we're going to the ball and you can't come goodbye and that's it i mean right. you only have eight and a half minutes you gotta get it going pretty quick i guess <laughs> I think what's so interesting and why it's so interesting with uh, Cinderella as well is they're both examples of Cinderella's being padded out by comedy. And sight gags at that. Yeah. I mean, there's still the Cinderella story, but both these stories could be told in less minutes than what is presented. And a lot of what is the rest of the movie is padded for comedic effect, for comedic bits. 
Well, and we've been talking about Cinderella as a vehicle for comedy since uh, La Cenerentola, probably at least. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the story is so light and fluffy or can be really light and fluffy. And cut and dry, really. It feels like you can have comedy in the story without being a detriment. And in fact, probably you need to have some comedy in the story because the circumstances of Cinderella's life can be really depressing. Mm. And there are versions of this story that play that truth a little closer to home and they're less approachable for kids Mm. because of it. I think what's so interesting about Tex Avery, the animator and director of this, is he does a lot of modern of the time comedic versions of fairy tales but he he takes a lot of these classic stories and brings comedy to them and comedic effect to them and tries to tell them in a new modern way and i wonder now when you talk about telling it in a modern way you mean like of the time period like of the 20s 30s 40s aesthetic do you think this production is set in the in the 20s or 30s I don't think so, but it has a lot of the elements of 20s and 30s. Oh, but you mean in the, like, neon signs and calling the police? Yeah, 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 calling the police. Beer halls. The beer halls. The fact that the, like, the the sign about the palace saying there's free parking till midnight. Mm-hmm. And then the ending being in a movie palace in the 10th row. Mm-hmm. Which feels like a reference. Like, I, I feel like... I should understand some implication by like, let's hang out in the 10th row. Like I assume they're going to make out or neck. Maybe oh. they would have said that. I'm going to guess that the 10th row is the back row. That's a short theater. I mean, movie palaces weren't that big. But yeah, Tex Avery, Avery is always doing fairy tales and always uh, doing stories like this. And I, I just think it's fascinating that he's always bringing, trying to bring these stories into a modern esque approach. It's interesting that it feels like Cinderella is always on the list. When people will start digging into fairy tales it's such a simple story. There's a lot that you can add your own flair on to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we've seen, it presents a model for stories that are not even explicitly said to be Cinderella stories. Right. How's that for a segue? <laughs> Do you have a pitch? It sounds well, to me that you have a pitch. Well, actually, uh, we have a pitch that was sent in this week, which is very exciting because we don't even have a, a podcast email address or anything like that. <laughs> I have a pitch from my personal friends and friends of the pod, Jess and Emily. Emily messaged me to try to convince me that Dizzy's Hercules is a Cinderella story. Okay. So Hercules is, of course, Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to quote directly from the messages. They write, Jess and I came to the conclusion that Herc's immortality is his shoe. It's lost early on and sort of triggers his journey towards his, quote, prince Uh, which is his acceptance by the people as a hero. Okay. Which I think is an interesting idea. They're right. Hades, Panic, and Chaos would obviously be the stepmother and stepsisters in creating his mortality and then proceeding to stop him from achieving greatness at every turn. But eventually they get put in their place. And the ball would be his trials, because they bring him closer to his prince of acceptance and Mm. love by the people around him. Hmm. I like that in a story that has a romantic entanglement for the main character Mm -hmm. that's not the prince that meg is just coincidentally there in this retelling of the cinderella story right i mean if that if the mortality is a is the losing of the shoe that's a really early losing of the shoe oh because is he mortal for most of the movie it's been a while yeah he's mortal for most of the movie he loses his mortality when he's a baby well usually the prince loses the shoe sorry the prince uh the cinderella loses the shoe 
at the ball. I I would agree that the the ball. I, yeah, I would agree that the ball is the trials. Mm-hmm. However, I think the losing of the shoe could possibly be when he makes the deal with Hades that Meg's not going to get hurt. How is that a shoe moment for you? Because that's losing his mortality. Oh, maybe that's what they meant when they said that then. Mm, maybe. I should have asked clarifying questions. I mean, em- Emily does write that it's lost early on mm-hmm. and sort of triggers his journey. So I think Emily is talking about the beginning of the film in that regard. Uh-huh. So I, I would say that it's not the beginning. It would be towards the end of the film is the losing of the shoe. So then the shoe is the like... I mean, we can go as far as say Meg is the shoe. Meg is the shoe? Yeah. Talk about objectification of female characters. Well, because there's a point where Meg... Spoilers, if you haven't seen Hercules, Meg does die. Right, he loses Meg. And he, he has to go save Meg. I think it would be the first example of a Cinderella... Taking her shoe back. Yeah, taking her shoe back. But when she gets her shoe... When, when Hercules saves Meg, he becomes immortal again and gains access to the acceptance to the acceptance yeah and saving meg is that the bridge is that yeah Uh because throughout the entire movie we see like he's doing it he's doing it he's doing it but he's not getting anywhere and i think this last act of saving somebody who he loves Mm -hmm. was the ticket was the key and was the glass slipper there's not really because the prince isn't a person there's not really a like search that the prince goes under uh, to try to find Cinderella. There's no, like, since I have the shoe, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like the fates are the prince, but I do like the casting of Hades Panic and Chaos as the step family, and also, and I forgot to read this part, Danny DeVito is, of course, the fairy godmother. Well, yeah. As, as, what's his name? Uh, Phil. Which feels like like a really, like, that is exactly what Danny DeVito's role is in that movie. Definitely is to magically transform Hercules and get him ready to receive his future. Right. I think that what we're learning is that Disney's only ever made one movie and they just keep putting different characters in the same story. (laughs) Disney found that Cinderella was popular. They said, all right, make it again. Yep. Make it over and over again. We'll sell it. We'll market it. And we'll put it in our parks, except for Hercules. Hercules is not in the parks as much. Oh, really? Not really. I want to convince you now that all of the Disney movies are... (laughs) <laughs> Cinderella. Toy Story, Cinderella. Hocus Pocus, Cinderella. Brave, Cinderella. Cars. <laughs> Cars is Cinderella. Tomater is Cinderella. <laughs> Lightning McQueen is the evil stepmother. No! <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. Although, in Cars 2, Tomater is probably Cinderella. If someone's mm. Cinderella in Cars 2, it probably is Tomater. Mm. But it's also possible that I hate to admit it, but maybe Cars 2 is not a Cinderella movie. How could you? How could I? Parent Trap? Oh, wait, we already did that. We did Parent Trap. (laughs) Well, I think I definitely agree with Jess and Emily. Hercules is a Cinderella story. Good pitch. 10 out of 10 pitch. Yes, thank you so much for setting that in. And thank you for giving me permission to read it on the air. Well, I think that's out of a clock chiming midnight. Means it's time to wrap up this episode of If the Shoe Fits. Yes. We'll see you in two weeks' time for a very highly anticipated one. We're hoping to do a sort of musical month for October. Yes. So we're going to do one of the more famous uh, musical Cinderella's. That's the only hint. Yeah. We'll see you then.
Bye now. <laughs>